This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it's found in the Ten Words of the Covenant, Exodus 20, verse 15, and also as the church summarizes this gospel in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 42. The Eighth Commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall not steal. We confess, page 557 in the book of praise, Lord's Day 42, Uh, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. And what does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Eighth Commandment, as we read it, as we confess it, straightforward. You see how it touches us right in our hearts, talks to us about our priorities, forbids us from loving money so much that we are willing to be dishonest and greedy in the way that we get money in the several ways that were listed in Lord's Day 42. You can see the Bible text references to each one of the forbidden ways of trying to get money in in the catechism. So this commandment makes us think about our business practices, our honesty when we sell things. Young people, as you sell your cars, be honest about what's broken on them, what's fixed, what's painted over. Tells us about how we pay our workers, what kind of interest we may charge and those who need loans from us. And it also commands us, on the positive side, to, to do what we can to protect our neighbor's well-being, to treat others fairly like we would like to be treated, and to work faithfully so that we can give to those in need. And the benefit of obeying this Eighth Commandment is that it makes it easier to to be who Christ has made us to be, to be generous in showing genuine love to others, as Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians. You see, a love of money actually hinders Christian life. It hinders generosity. People who are willing to steal or cheat to get more money actually see money as a power to be yielded for their own gains. They might even show what looks like generosity, but only do that to to try to get something back for themselves. But money, we see, is a temporary gift given by God to be used for His glory, for the furtherance of His kingdom. And this focus on using what we have received for God and his kingdom 
is what the Apostle Paul deals with extensively in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I preach to you this gospel under the theme, Christ became poor to lead you, lead us into a wealth of generosity. In Christ we are rich and in Christ we can be generous. So any discussion of the eighth commandment must begin with what we have received from God, what we have received in Christ. The commandment, the eighth commandment is based on the redemption and the freedom that God gave to his people when he redeemed them from bondage and slavery and sin. It's a description of the new life where God has given everything, where we live in the grace of God. In the same way, in the New Testament, Paul points us to Christ when he speaks of our offering, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He points us to what Christ did, and so he makes it very clear that our giving is not to be motivated by a command, but by how rich we are in Jesus Christ. You can see that again in chapter 9, verse 13. We have submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So the apostle puts Christ's work in the center as the basis for our giving. We need to think of who Christ is, first of all. How he became poor, how he emptied himself of the glory he had with the Father in heaven so that we might become rich. Now the riches he brings to us are not physical riches. It's not a promise that you own lots of stuff. But he's speaking of the spiritual, the eternal riches of living in peace and fellowship with God. Generous Christians then are not merely responding to the to needs in the ministry of the word and the ministry of charity, but they are responding first of all to the grace of God towards them. They give according to what God has given them in Christ. We are first of all motivated by what the Lord has done for us. And think about it. He has included you, me, in his gracious saving work. He has adopted us to be a part of his family. He is guaranteed that we might live every day of our lives in peace with Him. He has forgiven us all our sins. We are those who already have what everyone who does not know God is trying to obtain through their wealth. For in Christ we already have peace and satisfaction and hope and assurance. Money can't buy the riches that we have in Christ. And that's why God warned us, he taught us, not to live as if we still need to get peace or satisfaction or hope or assurance through financial wealth. You see, the thief believes that he needs money to finally get rest and peace. Many people turn to the so-called God money, sometimes called mammon, in the hope that physical comforts in this temporary world will take away all the longings of their heart and, and finally give them relaxation. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 7 says, and he never has enough 
to satisfy him. Never has enough to get to that goal. And even when he, when he thinks he, he does have enough and he plans to finally rest and relax like we read in Luke 12, he will come to see that his selfishness will not bring him into peace with his maker. As Ecclesiastes teaches extensively, those who make it their, their life goal to get rich in this life will see that the meaningless of it all when they come to death's door and they see that they were just really collecting wealth for someone else to have after they die. The house, the car, the boat we could only afford because we didn't give to the church and the needy people beside us can't be taken with us into heaven. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 13 to 16. That eighth commandment that we hear every Sunday again, it reminds us that selfishness and greed and lack of care for the well-being of those around us is not a good way to participate in God's work in the world. That greed and selfishness actually are ways of showing that we are discontent with the reality that Christ has obtained for us by his death. Those eternal and spiritual riches. And we end up, when we prefer money and comforts for ourselves in this temporary life over living as citizens of God's kingdom, we actually show disdain for all that our Lord has done for us. And that's why we read in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 11, and then again chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul gives very strong warnings against greedy people and swindlers. He even says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the Eighth Commandment is then a warning. It's a warning against throwing away all those riches that you have in Christ because of your greed. You are citizens of an eternal kingdom where you are loved and valued and important and called to participate in the ongoing work of the creator of heaven and earth. That's the starting point for any financial decisions that we make in our lives. You are already in the riches of Christ. You are owing him for your everlasting life for the peace and for the satisfaction that you have, for your complete contentment. Christ has set you free to completely dedicate yourselves to him. And as Christians with the Holy Spirit, we, we feel that, don't we? we? We like to sing, take my life and let it be. We have everything in Christ. Lord, take my all. We look at the privilege we have of knowing God, having that promise of restoration of paradise in Christ. And then we, we look at who we are. We look at our bodies. We look at our gifts. We look at our talents. We, we look at the money that we earned at our jobs. And we can see that although all these things cannot bring satisfaction in themselves, God has given them to each one of us, his children and the family of God, for a reason. And that changes how we look at everything we have. Well, keep on asking, why has the Lord given me the already rich in Christ 
these material blessings? How can I use these blessings for his glory? How can I show that I am thankful to him for these blessings? For his son, for the gospel. You have strong arms. You have a voice that can sing and talk. You ask, how can I use, how can I, how can I show to God that I am thankful for these strong arms or this beautiful voice or this ability to talk? Or maybe you have a, a weak body, but you have many experiences in your life. Or maybe you're, you're young and, and, and full of, of energy and you think, how can I use what God has given me to show that I am thankful for the riches I have in Christ. Or you get a $100 for a day's labor, and you think, how can I show to God that I am thankful for the riches I have in Christ? You see how that changes your perspective about money? The financial gifts we receive have a temporary purpose in our Christian lives. Money is not a, a goal or a prize to be pursued over everything else, but it's a tool or an instrument to be used by stewards who have been made rich in Christ so that they can be generous on every occasion as the Holy Spirit says in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 11 and 12. The gospel is that in Christ we can be generous. And as we consider what it looks like to be generous, we can turn our attention back to Luke 12, to the parable of the rich fool who was condemned by God, verse 21, because he laid up treasures for himself, but was not rich toward God by using his money to help people on earth, as Jesus explains verses 33 and following of that same chapter. The man in the parable was a fool because he thought that all the profit that he had earned from his hard work was ultimately for himself. He thought it was his. And in contrast, the Lord Jesus taught that we are really just stewards or, or caretakers of the Lord's money and that he has given it to us only to be used as he wants it to be used. Think of the parable of the talents, or the wise steward. In a sense, we could say that every gift you receive from your faithful father is earmarked for his service, and like car wash tokens, can only bring good results when we use it for that purpose. When we act like the rich fool did, as if the things God gives to us are our own, we are breaking the Eighth Commandment by taking what does not belong to us. It can be compared to a child taking the grocery money he was given to buy food for the family and then going off and using it to buy a bike for himself. And that's why people who don't give money back to God, who, who, who don't use the money for his kingdom, are sometimes said to be stealing from God. Malachi 3 says, robbing God. 
the only way to express our thankfulness to God for the riches we have in Christ is to use the, the physical gifts we receive for kingdom service. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now what does this look like in your life? And as I was reading the clarion this, this afternoon, there's a nice article in there about giving to the Lord and some of the principles, the gas principle. You can read the article, God owns everything except what you have and seek first the kingdom of God. But as we think about that together again, we, we note, first of all, that the parable, Luke 12, is addressing what we do with the extra things that God gives us beyond what we need in life to worship God with our own lives. The man in the parable is not condemned for buying a house or for getting the food and clothing and tools that he needed for his task. But he was condemned for his attitude about all the things he earned beyond this. And so Paul says something similar when he tells us that in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13 that the idea is not that we should be burdened so that others can live in ease. And our Lord Jesus taught us too that we can ask for our daily bread and, and when we receive what we need for our daily task would be against God's will if we, we just gave it all away and became needy. And so we have to ask, what, is it, what does it look like to be rich towards God? What is the difference between need and greed? When can we conclude that we have enough to give to someone else? Well, the apostle in our passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he recognizes that sometimes fellow Christians in our own congregation or in entire churches in different places in the world will have an abundance, and sometimes they will have great needs. Sometimes we are in need because of poor financial decisions. Sometimes it is because we are unable to earn an income. Sometimes it is simply because our income is not sufficient for our daily needs. After paying the bill for a simple grocery list, the monthly mortgage or rent payment, costs associated with our modest vehicle, necessary education costs, we find we have almost nothing left over. We are comfortable, we're surviving, but we're uncertain about the future. That makes us feel nervous and unable to see any savings as extra. Many of us have been in that situation, are in that situation. And the worst part of being in this kind of need is that we are deprived of the privilege of expressing gratitude for the riches we have in Christ Jesus and of enjoying the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4. And the gospel message for us is that the Lord has ordained a ministry in the church, a ministry of mercy, ministry of charity. He's ordained deacons in the church to reveal the mercy of Christ. These are, these are men appointed by Jesus Christ to do whatever they can to ensure you that you are once again able to give to the Lord. They'll sit down, they, they look at your budget, they give training, they, they give employment help, they give financial gifts so that you can once again give to the Lord. So that 
you can give yourself completely to his people. Now the apostle also addresses those who have received more than they need for their daily food, shelter, clothing, and transportation. Those who, that 8% of the population of the world, every one of us, whether that's giving, that abundance is, is that extra is 10% of your income, including the help from the deacons, or 70% of your income, this abundance is something we are responsible to God for. Every one of us with that abundance, that extra, that beyond necessary, we need to ask ourselves with Luke 12 in front of us, how can we do better than the rich fool in Jesus' parable? How can we be rich toward God with the extra that he gives to us? Now throughout history, the church of Jesus Christ has focused on two areas. The Israelites' tithes were divided between the ministry of reconciliation, the priests and the Levitical works, and the support of the widow, the orphan, and the refugees in the land. If you look at Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, the that the root of the, the modern deacon. It divides between the ministry of the word and the care of the weak and vulnerable. In our congregation as well, kingdom work has two parts. The maintenance of the ministry of the gospel in the schools and giving Christian alms to the poor. We say that in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And when we are led by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, motivated by the riches we have in Christ, we will be rich toward God both through contributions to the operating budget of the local church as well as to the work of the deacons. Some of the money goes to the collection bags or to the, the e-transfer link offerings for the deacons' work in the care of needy members in our church and our community. And some of the money goes to the church treasurer in the envelopes provided or to the donations e-transfer link for the support of our own pastor, the ministry of theological education, the operating costs of, of meeting with and cooperating with other faithful churches, for the maintenance of this building that we enjoy every Sunday, for broader mission projects like the work in Brazil and Edmonton, the Holy Spirit guides us to be rich toward God out of the thankfulness for the riches we have in Christ. In our own congregation at this time, the elders are concerned about the giving patterns of the members. They've asked the minister to address this issue in the sermon on this commandment. It's a Serious thing when the elders are concerned about a large percentage, large number of members who've given nothing to the church last year, the year before. We ask, why, why is that? Well, it could be that the reason is found in a spiritual hardness of heart. Maybe a large percentage of this congregation is not grateful to God for their salvation. So they have no desire to express their thankfulness or show their genuine love with every part of their being. Maybe some of us 
love money more than God, need to be exhorted and disciplined to repent of the sin of robbing God. May the Lord help us all to loosen our grip on our money and things which cannot even bring us satisfaction and learn to trust in God to see his love, the riches we have in Christ, to display our genuine love for him. Perhaps we're not giving because we're having trouble making ends meet. But for whatever reason, we have not reached out to the means the Lord has supplied for us in the deacons for support. And although the deacons keep their work confidential, many people are ashamed of the reason they got to this place, or they don't want to change their lifestyle, or they think it's pointless to receive help from the church to give to the church. Again, may the Lord help us to see that we do not need to deprive ourselves of the privilege of expressing our thanks to God for the riches we have in Jesus Christ by our generous giving. The beauty of being a Christian in the communion of saints is that God will always ensure that we have enough to meet our needs even after we have given to the Lord. Or perhaps the lack of giving noted in our congregation in the last several years is because of disorganization. That seems to be Paul's concern in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. You can see that especially in chapter 8, verse 11, when he exhorts the church to finish putting together the collection as an act of grace. And then he says in chapter 8, verse 11, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Maybe we want to give and we're able to give, but we keep on forgetting. Or we don't have the habit of giving to God first and we end up fooling ourselves into thinking that we can use what looks, like a lot, it looks a lot like our own money for unnecessary luxuries. So that when we finally think of giving to God, we find that there's no money left. Again, may the reading of the Eighth Commandment, every Sunday we hear that, do not steal. May that serve as a, as a weekly reminder in our lives. Every time we hear that, we can think, am I, am I robbing God in the way that I manage my financial gifts? May it lead us to pray that we might stop robbing God or harming the ministry of the gospel or hindering the joy of our fellow Christians. Or perhaps we are giving, but due to a lack of information or education, we're not aware that giving to the kingdom includes contributions to both the deacons and to the church treasure, to the the local church. We are sincerely and anonymously helping out the poor in, our, in the collections, but we're not sending money to the church treasurer to support our own local church in, in its preaching ministry, in cooperation with other churches and, and missionaries. Again, this is the case, and may it be just a lack of understanding and education. The simple solution is to work together to ensure that 
that both the, the church and the work of the deacons receive our financial gifts. And there certainly are ways that spiritual leaders in, in, in the home, the parents, and in the church, the office bearers, can make that very more clear, especially for those who pay little attention to the bulletin information or to congregational meetings. And again, may the Lord use this moment to encourage us to have a conversation with our elders, our deacons, about how we can best fulfill our desire to, to give, to dedicate our lives to the Lord with everything we have, as we sang together as well. The Eighth Commandment is a commandment to each one of us to be living members of the Church of Jesus Christ, receiving the riches and responding to the riches we have in Christ. May the Lord help us to keep our hearts in heaven and our financial blessings in the service of God's kingdom, not reluctantly or under compulsion or only because of the command, but as cheerful givers, seeing the riches we have in Jesus Christ so that God's name can be praised all over the world, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 11 to 13. May it be our prayer as we hear the Eighth Commandment every Sunday that the deacons are well supplied as we promised when they were ordained, that Helping Hands has freezers full of meals, and that those in need receive the help that they have, or the, the, the help for their needs at this time. May the church have what it needs to continue with the great commission that we have received from Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel, the support of missionaries and, and ministers here and in other places, to live in, in fellowship with all Christ's people all over the world. May God open our eyes to see how rich we are, how content we may be, how at peace we are with Him in Jesus Christ, so that we can be generous to God and to one another. Amen.